0: Uh, Dr. Wilmington, uh, if you if you if you want the 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 my favorite um, um, commentary, it's Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, and uh, he says in that that um, uh, the fourth greatest day of history uh, was the birth of Jesus Christ, and um, then he says the third greatest day of history was some thirty four years later when uh, Jesus Christ uh, was crucified uh, when he uh, was was laid in a tomb uh, 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 when the, uh, he was betrayed by those who were close to him, Judas Iscariot and, of course, the Roman government. And the people were yelling and shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He ended up being crucified. Uh, and that's a part of our, our story. But then he says that the second greatest day in history was the day when the women went to the tomb and were looking for Jesus, and the angel appeared to them and said, you know, uh, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And so that's the day that we celebrate today. We're here to celebrate and honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and celebrate the fact that he is risen from the dead. Amen? All right. Would you, would you stand with me and join me in prayer? <clears throat> Amen. You can grab, grab uh, the, the hand of somebody uh, next to you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for what you've already done in this place. Thank you for your word. Thank you for worship. We thank you that we can gather together and freely worship you and and not fear any any repercussions whatsoever. Lord, this is a day that we, we look back at what you have done and we meditate on how that impacts our life today. So we say, Lord Jesus, be glorified, be magnified in this place and in our lives And again, we thank you for what you've already done, and we look forward to what you are going to do, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. All right. So Christianity has affected the last 2,000 years, uh, uh, for sure, historically and politically and in every kind of aspect of society. Uh, Everything from... Uh, rich folks to poor folks, uh, from peasants to kings, and from small little tribes to uh, mighty nations. Christianity has spread across the globe into tribal groups all over the world and people groups all over the world. Multiplied billions of people uh, have experienced the life-giving healing and forgiveness and freedom offered uh, in God because of what Jesus Christ has done, Him rising from the dead. Spurgeon said this, he says, Our religion is not based upon opinions, but f- upon facts. We hear persons sometimes saying, Those are your views, and these are ours. Whatever your views may be, it is a small matter. What are the facts of the case? And that's a thing that when I talk to other people sometime, and they say, Well, I don't need to have any kind of evidence for believing what I believe. I just have this, I just know that it's right. Well, how do you know that? Because I feel it you know, if you're going to base your belief system totally on feelings, you know, feelings change uh, from one season to the next. You wake up and it's windy and stormy and you don't feel like going to work, So, but you go anyway, right? Because there's four or five people standing behind you waiting for your job, right? I mean, you can't base your life on feelings and yet we'll base our belief completely on feelings. Now, God gave us feelings. That's not a bad thing, but if I'm only believing because of what I feel then there's no difference between this religion or that religion or this uh, uh, belief system or that belief system. You know, uh, there's, there's, there's no difference there. And so it's got to go, Spurgeon says, beyond just feeling, but what are the facts? See, we can analyze any religious system based on what their founders believed and what the facts are. And so Sir Lionel Lucku, who uh, is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most successful uh, attorney and advocate. Uh, he won 245 consecutive uh, murder trials, uh, defended them, and he was known as the Perry Mason, for those of you who've been around for a while. Uh, how many of you know who Perry Mason is? All right. Uh, how many have no clue? Yeah, all the young people over there. You got me on there. Is he like a rap star from Cleveland or something, you know? Perry Mason? Yeah, I think I heard. No. All right. Anyway, <laughs> the older folks will tra- give you the definition of Perry Mason later, but he was known as the Perry Mason of the Caribbean. Uh, he was highly uh, a respected high commissioner in London, both Ghana and Barbados, a candidate for prime minister, and he was a skeptic. Though he grew up in church, he did not believe in Jesus Christ. He believed there were too many things that did not add up until he began to really uh, get challenged in this area and begin to research it. And here's what he said. He put that brilliant legal mind to work, uh, Sir Lionel Luck, who did and said, I say unequivocally that the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. And he wrote some books, booklets and pamphlets. One of them called The Question Answered, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? And another one was called Dear Atheist, and another one was God is Love." Okay, The evidence of the resurrection is so compelling that Harvard Law professor Simon Greenleaf, uh, who is responsible for much of the current uh, 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 jurisprudence that we have today, uh, said that in any cross examination of the scriptural eyewitness testimonies of Christ's resurrection, that it will result in this, an undoubting conviction of their integrity, ability, and truth. And if that's not enough, there are people who write... Uh, at length, regarding the resurrection of Jesus, uh, you might be familiar with Lee Strobel and his different books. One of his booklets is called uh, "The Case for the Resurrection." The Case for the Resurrection. And if and you can get the Case for Easter, you can get the Case for Jesus, you can get the Case uh, uh, for belief. I mean, I mean, this guy put his mind together. He was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune and was not a believer in Jesus and through an encounter that his wife had with, with Christ. And as he began to examine the evidence, in particular of the resurrection of Christ, he became a follower of Jesus as well. Uh, now, in his book, uh, Science Speaks, Dr. Uh, Peter Stoner applied scientific laws of probability to the pro- to the, uh, the chances of one man fulfilling eight pro- prophecies uh, that were predicted in the Old Testament about the Messiah Jesus who were to come. Now, they're over- 300 prophecies, but he took just eight and said, what would be the probabilities of those things being fulfilled in any one person? So he plugged it into the computer and this is what he came up with. The chance of that is one times, eight, uh, uh, one times 10 to the 17th power or 100 quadrillion. Okay, one man fulfilling just eight. Now, there's all kinds of evidence regarding the resurrection of Christ. And I've done that in the past. I've given you know, answers to different kinds of theories. People have said uh, things like, well, it really wasn't Jesus who was crucified, okay. Or, you know, he really wasn't dead. Or, you know, his body, the, the disciples came in the middle of the night, somehow they mustered up the courage after they all scattered and were afraid for their lives, they mustered up the courage to bust through the Roman guard and take away the stone and move the seal. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, reasons that all are pretty, uh, yeah, pretty weak, actually. But, but rather than going into that, here's a question I want to ask you this morning. It's Resurrection Day. I want to ask you this question. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? I mean, I mean we believe he did. But what if he didn't? What if he didn't? Now, Paul the Apostle gives a declaration of this. Paul explains uh, how everything we believe in hinges on the resurrection of Jesus and the tomb being empty. By the way, the tomb is still empty. I mean, you understand that if the religious officials or the Roman government or anybody else wanted to put Christianity to an end, immediately all they had to do was present the body of Jesus and say, you people have lost your mind. Here it is. He's still dead and he's still in the tomb. That's all they had to do. They could not produce the body. We know what happened. But what if he didn't rise from the dead? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, Paul addresses this. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop. The Corinthian church believes that Jesus rose from the dead. They believe that. They just are having doubts about whether or not they will have a resurrected body. Because the Greek thought in these days were that to have any kind of material, physical body was was substandard. They wanted to be spiritual, 100%. And the idea of a resurrected body didn't sit well with them. Uh, They thought if you have any kind of material body, you will be less than... And the Bible speaks about a resurrection that will take place and a glorified body that we will receive. But they were doubting that. They didn't doubt the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, because that was proof they were doubting their own resurrection. So Paul addresses that. And in that, he explains what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So verse one says, now, let me remind you, since it seems to have escaped you. That's kind of a nice way to put it. Let me remind you because you all forgot already. Okay, seems to have escaped you. Brethren of the gospel, the glad tidings of salvation, which I proclaim to you, which you welcome and accepted and upon, your, uh, and upon which your faith rests, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast and keep firm what I preach to you, unless you believed at first without effect for all, uh, and all for nothing. For I passed it on to you, first of all, what I also had received, that Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for our sins in accordance with what the scriptures foretold, that he was buried, that he arose on the third day as the scriptures foretold. So Paul's reminding them, saying, listen, remember the gospel. This is the gospel message. This is the good news, the message of salvation. And he explains what it is. First of all, the the Corinthian church received the gospel. And that's what needs to happen. Uh, The message... Of the gospel must first be believed and embraced, welcomed, accepted, and received. Uh, Pete was giving his testimony, which is just a story of his life, of how at one point he rejected the message. And maybe he wasn't a stone-cold atheist, but for him, he just didn't see maybe where Jesus fit in his life. And so he rejected the gospel message, and then there were a series of events that happened in his life where he began to think, you know, God, maybe you're up there, and, and God, if you're up there, I know you can do something to help me. And that was a process. But there came a point where he had to what? He had to receive the gospel. You know, it, the gospel is something that you have to embrace. A lot of people can intellectually describe the gospel, but it's not in their heart. And this is my, one of my biggest fears is that people could tell you about the gospel. They could tell you that Jesus rose from the dead. They could give you even historical evidence about it because it's in their brain, but it's not in their hearts. Someone said that a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the distance, the average distance between someone's head, their brain, and their heart. It has to be received. Paul the Apostle thanked the church at Thessalonica for doing such. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you, what, receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcome it. Welcome it as not the word of men, but it, uh, as it is the truth of the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And so the Corinthians first received the gospel message. What is the gospel? That Jesus died in accordance with what the scriptures says. On the cross, Jesus became, as it were, the enemy of God. Okay, the full measure of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. God is holy. Sin cannot be in His presence. You cannot waltz into heaven and think you can find a back door, sneak in underneath, dig your way in, uh, convince the angel or whomever is at the gate that maybe he should let you in because you're a nice person, and maybe you are. It depends on who you compare yourself to. It does. We tend to grade ourselves a lot higher than we really are. And so all of the sin, all of my sin, in word and in thought and in deed my entire life from the time that I was at the age of accountability, which is about 27. No, I'm just kidding. It's more like 13 or 14. I like to forget some of those early days. I know uh, 25 did not happen for me, okay? Uh, listen, all of that, I stand guilty before God. And, and there's no trial. I don't get an appeal. I know it. God knows it because he knows everything about everyone, everything I've ever said, thought, or done that violates the Big Ten, the Big Ten Commandments, willingly. Sometimes I've broken them all at the same time. I, can't, I don't even know how many times I've broken his law, willingly. All of that, not just for me, but for the world, was poured out on Jesus. The full measure, the full cup of the wrath of God. He died for our sins. And it says in accordance to the scriptures, because this was predicted in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah speaks about this coming Messiah who would come. And it speaks about the suffering and the pain that he would go through. And then it speaks about him living. It says that 53, three, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, my peace, your peace, was upon him. And by his stripes, by his wounding, we are healed. Interesting. He died according to the scriptures. Then Paul says he was buried. We don't often think about the burial of Christ as part of the gospel story. But here's what the burial of Christ proves us. It, it proves to us that he really died because you don't bury someone who didn't die. Death was confirmed even on the cross as the soldier took that lance and right through the ribcage into the pericardium sac of the heart and out came what? blood. And water, signifying that Jesus had indeed died. Okay? So his burial is important because it also fulfilled what the Scripture said. Isaiah fifty three nine, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. What well, turns out that Jesus was buried in the tomb of a rich man, like the Scripture says. So the burial of Jesus is as important as the death of Jesus. But wait. It says he was raised on the third day, Paul the Apostle says. He died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. And that's what we celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Just every once in a while, you just got to just ask for one. So please don't, don't be alarmed. You just got to ask. I can feel it blo- uh, bubbling up within you. 1 Corinthians 15 12 says this. So Paul now addressing the fact that some of these Corinthians don't believe in a resurrection. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, and here's where he explains, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. Verse 16, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, verse 18 says, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more uh, to be pitied than anyone in the world. So if Jesus had not risen from the dead, Paul the Apostle says, here's a few things, here's seven things you need to consider. All right, first of all, Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, why are we here today? Why are we celebrating Resurrection Day and Easter if it never happened? There's no Easter. Death defeats Jesus Christ. The grave wins. Hell and Satan and ultimate destruction Overtakes God and wins if Christ has not been raised. And he also says, secondly, the preaching of the disciples is useless. Okay? We we take the word of God very seriously and we, we exalt God's word. And Paul says if Christ didn't raise from the dead, it's useless. And that word expresses a hollowness of something. A hollowness. Uh, the the absence of that which otherwise might be possessed another translation says it's fruitless it's without effect it's empty imaginary and unfounded if the preaching of the disciples is useless then you must will take your new testament and toss it because it speaks of jesus christ his life his death his resurrection and gives instructions on how to live a holy life, and if the first part didn't happen, or uh, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then the rest of the, the book of the Acts and the letters to the uh, Corinthians, none of that matters. And he said faith is useless. It's devoid of truth. It's fruitless, without effect, empty, imaginary. It's unfounded. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Well, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then the just don't live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a a, a snapshot of, of, of these amazing things that these amazing people did. And it says that they did it by faith. And yet if there is no resurrected Jesus, then these exploits are of no value. And he goes on and says that the apostles are lying about God. Think about that. Peter, James, John. Matthew, liars, Paul says, including himself. Liars. They're they're, they're telling people something happened when they when it didn't happen. And he says, if that's the case, they're all liars. Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. And then it gets even deeper than that, because he says, You are still guilty of your sins. You're not forgiven of everything you've ever said or you've ever done or you've ever thought. If Christ has not raised from the dead, you you are guilty before God. You are, and so am I. And there's no way out. There's no way to get to him. There's nothing beyond this life. So John says in 1 John 2.12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven uh, for... Uh, forgiven you for his namesake. No, nope, not if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a, a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience that our, and our bodies washed with pure water. Not if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Uh, if we're still guilty of our sins, then we're still under the control of sin. Paul in Romans says to the church in Rome, Sin will not be your master. And here's the thing about sin. Before I was a follower of Jesus, before my eyes were opened up, I didn't, I mean, I knew certain things were right or wrong, but it didn't affect me to do them or not do them. It's like I really didn't care. I didn't really have much of a conviction. I had a conviction about things that were against the law. That conviction was, I don't want to do no time, ever. Okay, but beyond that, there's a whole host of things that didn't bother me at all. Not at all. And sin is a master. Oh, you don't know it. It's just being who you are. Doing things my way. Living my life my way. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Except that won't lead you to God. That will lead you away from God. What was the original sin, original rebellion? The original sin was independence from God. And we all have independent spirits. But that has to be broken that we might recognize our need for a Savior. It's hard to be prideful and come to know Jesus because you don't think you need him. Sin is our master. We have no power to overcome. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit hasn't come. So that means you don't have the power over sin. If it feels good, you do it. And there is nothing beyond you to stop you, except maybe a little bit of conscience, which came from God too. And he says, all who died are lost. You know, I've done my share of funerals. I've done my share of weddings. There was a couple of weddings that I've done that I've thought, you know what, I wish I could have a do-over on that. No one here, of course, no one here. Just, just like, I don't know, man, I kind of like, I don't know if I, Yeah. But you know what, I've, I've, I've never done a bad funeral. And you know why? Because when death happens, nobody cares about ESPN. Nobody cares about the playoffs. Nobody cares about Facebook or Twitter or blogs or, no, no. nobody cares about that appointment. It doesn't matter anymore. Death has a way of bringing us all to a place of stopping. Because technology speeds everything up. Death brings everything back to reality. Because not even technology can save us. That's what the scientists believe it can. not And we have to stop and think. And we have to think about when that day comes for us. What will be said of us? where will we go when that day comes i mean everybody thinks about that nobody wants to talk about it i talk about it all the time it's kind of what i do right kind of and paul says if christ hasn't risen from the dead then you know my words to families to saying they've gone on to a better place is a lie to say that one day you'll see them again it's a lie That means Pete lied to you when he said one day that he will see his wife and his child, his unborn child. He'll see them in heaven. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, no, he won't. There is no reason to believe that. And people always want to believe about a good place and a good God and something great will happen when a tragedy happens. Everybody wants to believe that. A friend of mine said recently, he said, you know what, Rich, I just believe that when you die that you just cease to exist. You just kind of become one with, you know, you just kind of go on to nothingness. And I go, man, you know what, how tragic is that? Like if you've lived a tough life, if life has thrown you some curveballs and, and some change-ups that, that have just really been hard, and then to think that you die and that's it, that's pretty sad. You know, there's really nothing to look, if there's nothing else besides this life, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. And it doesn't matter. There's no accountability. There's no payment other than you might die earlier than you normally would die. But that's it. It's nothing to look forward to, really. How can you hope for tomorrow if you don't hope in a God who understands and is in control of tomorrow? It's random chance plus time. It's a crapshoot. You don't even know if you'll have tomorrow. The Bible says that. Then he says this, he says, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Another translation says, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, of all people we are most miserable and to be pitied. You know what Paul's saying? It's all a joke. This whole thing is a joke. It's a horrible joke. I mean, think about it. Think of it. Church means nothing. It's a big joke, and we're all losers, believing in something that didn't happen salvation Uh uh-uh faith in christ who needs it the power to overcome sin no we want to sin because there's nothing else to live for we might as well have some physical pleasure because there's no spiritual pleasure right the holy spirit living and abiding within us no is there a heaven and if so how does one get there if christ hasn't risen from the dead there is no heaven why would you think there is one Why would you think there's some good place you get to go to? We make these things up because we want to hear that. Can you imagine Paul and the apostles and all that they gave up? All the sacrifice. Think of the martyrs throughout the ages that willingly stood before the Romans and said, Jesus is Lord, when they were commanded to say Caesar is Lord, and they were executed because of it. What a waste of a life if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. What about your own sacrifice What about the things you've given up for the Lord? What about the the struggle against sin? Nothing. Martin Luther said this, Everything depends on our retaining a firm hold on this doctrine in particular. For if this one totters and no longer counts, all the others will lose their value and validity. And I, I believe that. If Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, you know what? Everything else falls to the side. Nothing else holds up. Spurgeon said this, If Jesus rose, then this gospel is what it professes to be. If he rose not from the dead, then it is all deceit and delusion. Spurgeon said that. And he's right. How you all feeling right now? You should be feeling good because you know the answer. This is not a trick sermon. I wouldn't do that on Easter Sunday. Some other time I might. You know the answer. Paul the Apostle did too. He's just explaining that the fact of the resurrection is what everything else is based on. Everything else. And aren't you glad for the butts of the Bible? Aren't you glad? Paul the Apostle says, you know what? Your faith is useless if there's no resurrection. We apostles have been lying about God. You're still guilty of your sins. All who are died are lost. We're more to be pitied than men. But. I could just, I i don't know. I just see him pointing his finger. Like writing this down to the church at Corinth. Ah, ah, wait a minute. But. Wait a minute, Paul. What do you say? But, 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 but. Let me finish that. Don't be running off saying, I said there's no resurrection. But. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell at you. Wake some of y'all up, but, but, verse 20, verse 20, he says, but the fact is that Christ, the Messiah, has been raised from the dead. I'm I'm, I'm sorry if you were hoping for a different ending. (laughs) That's it, that's it. Paul the Apostle met Jesus face to face. Paul said, don't tell me he isn't risen. I met him. You can't argue with him. That's why his life completely changed. What would cause this man who vehemently thought he was serving God by destroying the church, what would cause him to be a follower of Jesus? Well, he met Jesus. What would cause the disciples to, to all scatter in different directions and to be literally running for their lives, what would cause them to change and all of a sudden be willing to die for Jesus? They met Jesus. Were you going to tell Peter Jesus wasn't alive? Oh, no. No, he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus are you going to try to give scientific evidence against the resurrection? Matthew, the, the, excuse me, Thomas, Doubting Thomas? What made Doubting Thomas, who said, unless I see the holes in his hands and put my finger in it and the hole in his side, he said, oh, no, y'all are crazy. He didn't rise from the dead. And unless I see it, I won't believe it. Vroom, Jesus is in the room. And he looks at Thomas and the disciples went, "Uh-oh." Oh, I don't even want, no, I don't even want to hear this. Ah, Thomas. And he says, "You lousy unbeliever." No. He says, "Come here. Put your hand in my side, in my f- holes, in my Put." And Thomas knelt down and said, "My Lord and my God." What would cause him to go to India and die a martyr's death if it was a lie. All of these men, with the exception of John, died martyr's deaths. Peter, crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to even die the same. What would cause that? Don't you think if it was a lie, somebody would have said, Time out, man. It's all a lie. We made it up. Really? (laughs) No, don't kill me. No. To a man, to their death and beyond, they believed because they had seen the resurrected Jesus. Joseph, make your way out, worship team. Dr. George Sweeting tells of an incident in the early 1920s when communists... leader, Nikolai uh, Berkirin, was sent from Moscow to Kiev to address an anti-God rally, but he was the only one who was anti-God. And for an hour he abused and he ridiculed the Christian faith until it seemed that the whole structure was broken down. Then they asked if anybody wanted to speak. There was an Orthodox church priest who rose and asked to speak And he turned and faced the people and gave a greeting that was a traditional greeting amongst the church people at that time. And he shouted out, he is risen. And instantly the assembly rose to its feet. And the reply came back loud and clear. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed." The resurrection of Jesus. Amen.